0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Westway. and It is so good to see each of you here. It's supposed to be 47 degrees today, which is going to be amazing. Yes. But as Ann and I talked yesterday, we still got February and March. But it's okay. And April and May. Um, I think, let's see, Mother's Day is in May, right? Um, I think last year was the first Mother's Day since we uh, lived in have lived in Scotts Bluff, which is just about seven years. Um, last year was the first Mother's Day that we didn't actually have snow on Mother's Day. Um, maybe this year will be too. we can hope, right? Um, I want to encourage you today uh, to open your Bibles to Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. We're going to be looking at a number of uh, different texts, and it's going to go faster than what you think it will, um, but we're going to go through a number of different texts, and I, what I would really encourage you to do this morning is if you have the YouVersion app, I would encourage you to follow along um, in there because we're going to read some verses, talk very briefly about them, and then we're going to just keep going and kind of systematically look at the way that God uses serving selflessly as a part of our transformation. So the text that we've been really anchored to over the past several weeks is Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, and I just want to read that to you again this morning. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly, this truly is the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And the way that we've been kind of talking about the, this, this series, through this series, is we've been talking about the gathering. That was our first Sunday. And we talked about different behaviors and customs that the world has when it comes to the gathering of believers. And then last week we talked about giving. And we talked about the the mindsets and the behaviors and the customs that the world has in relation to being a generous giver. And then we talked about like, what does the Bible have to say about that? And this week, we're going to talk through, uh, first, what, does, what are the behaviors and customs of the world when it comes to serving? Like, h- how does the world think about serving? What's the world's perspective? What's the world's behaviors and customs as it relates to people who serve, especially, especially in the church, but not only in the church? And we, we made a list like we've been doing for the past couple weeks. So, One of the behaviors and customs that the world has when it comes to serving is the question, well, what's in it for me? When I think about serving... What's, what's in it for me? Am I, am I going to be recognized? Am I going to do something that's going to look good, maybe on my resume or on a college application? So I had a student who was in National Honor Society, too. I get that part of that process is doing service and having someone sign off on it. So that's, that's part of it. But one of the behaviors and the customs that the world asks is, is what's in it for me? Is someone going to acknowledge my serving? Am I going to get some kind of credit for serving another behavior and custom of the world is I serve if and when I feel like it. I serve if and when I feel like it. Another one is I'm here to be ser- to to be served. I'm not here to serve. I'm I go to a place because I want everyone To kind of take care of me. And we, you know, we have that attitude in in lots of different places and, and there are places where that can be appropriate, right? When you go if you go to see a Nebraska Hornhuskers game, like you're expecting that people are gonna take care of you. You're expecting to be served. Another behavior and custom of the world is I serve so I don't have to give. And I think that the flip of that is also sometimes true. I give so I don't have to serve. See, this is a behavior and custom of the world. I do this so I don't have to do that. And and there are probably lots of things we could talk about in that. Uh, Mike Wilson talked about when when uh, when they were living in New Mexico a question that he would be frequently asked if he was going to go and serve in the church on Sunday a question he would be asked by by someone who wanted him to to work he's like well why why are you going to do that I'm going to pay you to work like why would you go and serve why would you go give your time freely like this just this doesn't make any sense to me no one's paying you for that why would you go and why would you serve Sometimes we think I'll serve but only if I can set the parameters. I will serve if 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 it fits into what my my schedule looks like and my mindset looks like, then then you then you can have me and there's there's a health there's a healthiness to that. There are some boundaries we need to establish for ourselves. But serving isn't only based on our parameters. And then this is one. A friend of mine was telling me about a dream that they had just last week. And this person said, I had this dream where, where someone, where someone was, was, uh, was staying at our house and I was constantly having to buy all of these things so that they would be satisfied. And, I, and, and as the dream went on, I got more and more resentful of this person. And then, then the person I was talking to said, and I re- that really made me feel bad. And what made me feel the worst is I consider myself a servant until someone treats me like one. And I think that is such a, such a crucial behavior and custom of this world. Like we would all say, most likely, that we are servants. That we want to serve, we enjoy serving, we, we get something out. We do get something out of serving. Serving is a meaningful part of our lives. But the millisecond someone treats me like a servant, I'm out. I'm done. These are behaviors and customs of the world when it comes to serving. This is how the world thinks about serving. But for people who are called by God, who are who understand the gospel. That's why Paul begins in chapter 12 with this and so. It's kind of like based on everything that I just spent the last 11 chapters talking about, you are to do something different. You are to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. She says service, God uses our selfless service as part of our transformation. In Romans 6, 4, Paul writes this, for we died and were buried with Christ in his baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. See, just like Jesus died and was brought back to life, each one of us, each one of us as a follower of Christ, we, we have died to ourselves and we have been brought to new life. We have new lives that are found in Christ. And a question that we have to ask, I had a conversation with someone this morning who was reading through some texts and scriptures and was just like, some of this stuff I don't understand, so I, so I need to ask. And what I, what I told him was, don't ever lose that, that questioning mindset. Because sometimes we can read through the Bible and we're, we're really familiar with what the text says and we kind of just blow right by it. But a question we have to ask about Romans 6, 4 is if we've been given new lives, we should ask the question, well, why? Why did God give me a new life? Often as Christians, we can reduce our salvation. We can reduce our relationship to God as like God saved us so we can go to heaven after we die. That's why he did it. Well, no, God gave us new lives. And we need to ask the question, why? Why did God give me a new life? What, what does God want me to accomplish? Why do I have this second chance at life? And that's really found in John chapter 20, verse 21. It says this, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Let us never forget that God sent Jesus to do something. God sent Jesus for a purpose. God sent Jesus for a reason. And when we read through the gospels we know that that reason was to save us, to save us from our sins and to, to save us from chaos, death and destruction, to give us new life. But also we have been we have been sent. We have been sent. Jesus was sent. Well, what was Jesus's kind of mindset in being sent? There's this great scene in Mark chapter 10. It, it kind of begins with this man who approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, what, what do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to go to heaven? We've, that's probably a question. There are a thousand different ways to ask that same question. And, and Jesus tells the man, well, keep the, keep the Ten Commandments, essentially. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 I've done all that. I keep all those commandments. And then Jesus says something that would have really been appropriate last week. He says, oh, and one more thing. Sell everything you have, give your money to the poor, and then you can be my disciple. And the text tells us that that this man went away sad because he had great wealth. See, there was was something going on inside of him where he wanted salvation without transformation. He wanted to receive something from God, but he he didn't really want it to impact his life too much. So strangely, the man Again, he walks away sad because he has great wealth. Like in our world, right, um, we would have looked at each other and we would have felt compelled to go chase after him and, and maybe water down the message a little bit or make him make him feel comfortable so we would change his mind. And Jesus doesn't do that. He He lets the man walk away because like we talked about the very first week of this, Jesus invited this man into the banquet. And there was simply something that was more important and that something was just his money so he didn't he didn't get to go to the banquet he didn't get to participate in what was taking place and and this immediately sets the sets the disciples into this conversation about how they how much they've given up to be followers of Jesus and they Begin and, and continue on their track towards Jerusalem, and Jesus turns and he like he sees all of these people who are who are following him into town, and he turns and looks at his disciples and he's like, okay, guys, um, just so we're all clear as to what's about to happen, we're going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. That's what he tells his disciples. And what's so fascinating, the very next thing that happens... And you've probably had a conversation like this where, you, where you've, just, you've just borne your soul to someone. You've just shared something from like the deepest, the deepest pits of who you are. Like something really personal, something really intimate, something really close. And, and what two of his disciples do, James and John, upon hearing that Jesus is going to die, what they say is, hey, when you get resurrected, um, which one of us is going to sit at your right hand? Could you imagine that scene? Hey, I just told you I'm going to die, and that's what you're concerned about. Where you're going to sit. And the other disciples, the text tells us the other disciples hear about this. And it's probably the NIV says something like they were indignant. Like they couldn't believe that James and John would ask this question. And what's interesting is they weren't indignant that someone would dare ask Jesus that question. The reason they were indignant was because they they couldn't believe that James and John thought that they were going to be the ones that were going to be seated next to Jesus. They were indignant, not because that they asked the question. They were indignant that they didn't ask the question first. They were indignant that this was on their mind. So Jesus starts starts telling them about serving. He gets them all together. He's like, you guys got this whole thing wrong. And then he says this in Mark ten forty five. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for the ransom of many. Here's the translation. Who who do you think you are that you're going to get out of this without serving? Because even the Son of Man, even that's how Jesus is referring to himself. Even I came not to be served, but to serve others. So as you are disciples, as you're wondering, who's who's going to be seated at my right and who's going to be seated at my left? what, What I need you to do is is reorient your brain around what it means to be my people. And essentially, this is no different than the, they're behaving just like the rich man who walked away. They knew exactly what Jesus was calling them to. And he tells them that even even I didn't come to be served, and we we talked about this. I love that Jim is going to talk a little bit more about it in our communion meditation today from Philippians chapter two. Like the God of the universe, the one the one who created all things. We talked about this last week. The one who created all things with just his just his mouth, his breath, his lips. When he came to earth as a man, he. He didn't come to be served. He didn't come to be worshipped. He didn't come to be elevated and lifted up. His mindset was, no, I actually came to serve. Which is why that John 20 text makes so much sense. Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Just as I came to serve, not to be served, I'm sending you. And I'm not sending you so you'll go out and be served. I'm sending you so that you will go out and serve others. And Paul, in Ephesians 2:10, he writes this: "For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago." See, as we wrestle with this question, why, why do I have new life? What am I supposed to do with this new life? What, now that I've been delivered from a life of chaos and death and destruction, and, and Paul talked about that earlier in Ephesians chapter two, I would encourage you to go back and, and read through those first verses in Ephesians chapter two. See, Paul, God has, God has made us his masterpiece. He's, he's made us for a reason. He's made us for a person, for a purpose. This is why we have new life, to do something, to be something, to be a masterpiece. The Greek word that gets translated as masterpiece, in NLT, um, is really, uh, it's, it's like poema. And this is where we get the word poem from. You've been created to be a poem. You're created to be a masterpiece, not just, not just something to, to, to look at but something to enter into, something to, um, to, to have our lives changed by. Uh, I shared last week how I've been listening to the Proverbs, and the Proverbs are very much written in that poetic format. And poems can change our lives. The, the Proverbs can change our lives when we enter into that space. And Jesus hasn't just saved us so that we would go to heaven when we die. So that we would escape and evacuate the earth. Jesus has saved us so that we would be his masterpiece. So that others, others would look at us to display God's glory. That we would be a display of God's glory. That we would be a demonstration of God's glory. And in our lives, at some point, we have to ask the question, am I being a display of God's glory? When someone looks at me like, do they see a masterpiece? I think it was Scott Marsh, um, one of the times we were talking about this text in an elders meeting. I think I shared this before. He said, "I, I don't often feel like a masterpiece. In fact, often I just feel like a piece of work. And I think that's probably true for many of us at different points in our lives where we just, man, we just under construction. We are a piece of work. But what, Paul, what God through Paul is telling us in Ephesians two ten is we are, we are a masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. See the deeds that God has for us, he, like he knew God knew that that each and every one of us was going to be alive at this particular moment in history. God knew that each and every one of us were going to be alive like in this physical space. I know not everyone here lives in the Gearing, Scotts Bluff area. But God knows where you live. He knew where you were going to live. And He's put you in this physical place for a reason. He knew that. Because there's work to be done, there's good things, there are good works that we have to do that He has planned for us. The people that we come into contact with, our friends and our neighbors, and and the people at work or the people in school like, these are the people that God has placed in our lives. And he knew this. And, and we're trying, to, I think, at times to wonder in our, in our quest for identity why am I here? What am I doing here? Why did God put me here right now? Who am I really? Well, God puts you here because he has a purpose for you, he has a plan for you. In this moment in history, God, like God chose you to be alive right now. You're his masterpiece. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6. And I think this is a really critical text for us to understand as well. It says, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Christ Jesus is Lord and we ourselves are your servants. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. We are your servants for Jesus' sake. The reason we're here is because Jesus sent us here. We have been sent here to do good works by Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. See this, this message that we teach, it's not, it's not about us. This hope that we have is not about us. This story that we tell other people, this isn't about like pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. This is a work that Jesus has done and is doing in ourselves. It's not about us receiving all of the glory. And yet strangely we find ourselves often in this place where we have to talk about what God has done in our lives. This is what it means to be on display. This is what it means for other people to see what's going on inside of us. We are to be a light in the darkness and what's really As I was thinking about this, what's really kind of interesting about light and darkness is light just reveals something else. Did you know that? The light just reveals something else. I know these lights, well, you don't know because you're not standing here. These are like the brightest things in the entire world up here. And every time somebody who hasn't been on been up front before goes talks about is going to do a communion meditation or an offering meditation, the very first time they do it and they flip that lights, everybody does the exact same thing like this. The lights just reveal what's going on. The light points to something else. The, the purpose. The purpose isn't the light. And even when Jesus talked about being the light, he was pointing to the Father. He was the revelation of God the Father in the flesh. We see the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. So God has, as Paul writes, God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God. The purpose of the light is that people would know the glory of God. When we're on display, when, when the masterpiece is on display and we look at that, when we look at a painting, we, don't we automatically think of the, of the painter? Of the one who did the work? This is what it means for us to be in the light. Is to point other people to God. We reveal Christ by demonstrating who he is. This is the purpose of the new life as Christians. This is what it means to be a masterpiece, is to, is to point people to Jesus. And this is, this is not new. This is not something that, that's, that's New Testament only. This, is, this actually goes back to the, the beginning of the story. In Genesis chapter 1, Verses 26 and 28 says this, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We're coming back to this in a few weeks when we hit 1 Corinthians chapter 5-6. and 6. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then just a chapter later in Genesis 2.15, it says, God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. God didn't place the man in the Garden of Eden to, to simply... Let whatever happened, happen. God didn't place man in the Garden of Eden to, to not serve, to be served. The text tells us that God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. And these, these words, reign and govern, tend and watch over, they mean, they mean to toil, They mean to work. They mean to serve. They mean to point, put effort into. And I think sometimes we forget as just humans that we were were made to work. As we think about our relationship with work, we, we don't want to do it. But God made us to work. God made us to serve. We are to be caretakers over what God has given us. This is is the instruction that God is giving to Adam and Eve, is you you are to be caretakers of all the things I have made. I made all this. You didn't make it. We're going to talk about how this plays itself out as ambassadors for Christ next week when we talk about how going transforms us. But I created all of this and 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 it is your I've created you to take care of it. I've created you to serve it, to be a caretaker. Again, if you flip that word caretaker, take care of what God has given us. We are to take care of what God has given us. We are to serve. You might not know this about the Mulholland house, but we have two ducks and three chickens. At our house in our backyard. And I know it's just five animals, and those things are just in constant need of care. Like the, the nice thing is when it's so cold, they're all like all in their little house, so their quacking isn't as annoying as normal. But those things just require a tremendous amount of care, especially in the winter time. And one of the things that that we really noticed last year, and by by that I mean winter 22 to 23, that we haven't so much noticed this year with the exception of the last um, two weeks. Those things have needed to be taken care of at the most inconvenient times in the entire world. And what that looks like is uh, waking up in the morning... And knowing that their, their, their water bowl that we have, it's, it's rubber, so, so it, um, it doesn't break. What I mean by that, at the most inconvenient time, is by the time morning rolls around in minus 20 degree weather, that thing is like a block of ice. And somebody gets to go outside and dump that thing out. And then the best part was last week when it was frozen to the ground. Like, going out there and, and kicking it, trying to, trying to break it loose and then dumping it out. And I know that several of you are involved in ranching, and I get no sympathy from you in this situation. <laughs> 100%, I recognize that. Alan, Alan Fenning, when he was coming in today, said, man, you got to go outside to, to take care of the cattle, and it's that cold. Like, you can just feel it in your lungs, right? And I'm, we're out there for like eight minutes. And we think it's the worst thing in the entire world. But here's the thing. Reigning over what God has given us requires responsibility. We have a responsibility. like We have taken the responsibility of those two ducks and those three chickens. Regardless of what anyone's personal feelings are about the two ducks and three chickens. I love the fresh eggs. But we have a responsibility to take care of that. We have a responsibility to be caretakers of what of what God has given us. And God has God has placed man on earth to care for his creation. And this isn't just about about stewardship of caring for the land or, or caring for animals. This is about caring for one another. Because we are also, as humans, we are God's creation. And what this looks like for us is we have a responsibility to toil over one another. We have a responsibility to care for one another. We have the responsibility to serve others. To reign and rule comes with responsibility. Several months ago on Wednesday night, I I co lead with uh, Mary Narad. We lead a rooted group. And several months ago, we were talking about the chapter on serving. And as we were having this conversation about serving, uh, Randy Meininger said. So are we talking about serving in the church? Are we talking about serving in the community? Are, are we talking about serving the body? Like what Like what are we talking about? And, and the answer is yes. The answer to that question is yes. God is, God is out to, because God is out, I'll say it this way, because God is out to transform us, uh, serving is going to be a part of who we are regardless of where we are. So like we said last week when we were talking about giving, the, the point wasn't last week, hey, just, forever, just to increase our giving to Westway Christian Church, the, the purpose of talking about last week in terms of the way generous giving um, transforms us is, is we want to be generous givers. Whether that's here, whether that's outside, whether that's somewhere else, we want to we have hearts that are generous. And, and serving is the exact same way. we want to be Servants, we want to be people who reign and rule over the spaces and the environments that we have in ways that, that are serving, that are caring for other people. And something that we need to understand, I've been using this phrase for probably a month now, um, God's given us the Bible, not, not simply as spiritual sounding advice, but, some, but as something that will transform us. One of the worst things that we could do is to, is, to, is to use the Bible only as spiritual sounding advice. Something that sounds good, something that tickles my ear, something that's like, oh man, yeah, if I would do that, like I'll be, have more success in my life. The Bible isn't after that. It's not that the Bible doesn't have good advice in it. But this isn't about spiritual sounding advice. This is about our transformation. And this transformation only happens when we put into practice what it calls us to. Over the past few weeks, we've been going through this joy in serving Bible reading plan on YouVersion. I'd, if you're on Version, I would really um, encourage you to, 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 to be a part of that plan. I don't remember which day it was, but it said, an attitude of joyful service is a learned behavior. So what that means is, just like any other thing in my life that's, that's worth doing, I have to learn to do it. And the only way I learn to be a selfless server is to do it. Is to put myself in a situation where I have to serve Selflessly. That's the only way it happens. I have to allow myself to serve selflessly. And I think that the church is a great place to start because in the church, I, my selfishness is immediately going to be confronted. Because people who serve in the church, what, what they find is, is, is we have weird things like a schedule. Of when, we, of when we ask people to serve. And we have to take into account like everyone else's time and, and when they're going to be gone and all of these other things and serving in the church really confronts our, our selfishness. We ask those questions, what's in it for me? Well, I give so I don't have to serve. I'll serve but only if I can set the parameters. I've done my part in serving. It's time for someone else to serve. Do you see how serving presses on the selfishness of our our lives? And when we serve selflessly, what we do is we mirror Christ's example. This is an opportunity for us to be that masterpiece so that when people look at our selfless serving, what they see is Jesus. They see someone else. So over the past couple weeks, I've been talking about how, how gathering has transformed me, especially gathering at the um, Marysville Christian Church. And just the, just the implication of that church and the impact and the effect that that church had in my life. Um, gathering transformed me because it put me into proximity with other people. And some of those people, you won't find this hard to believe. Um, some of those people I didn't always get along with. Some of those people sinned differently than me. Some of those people had different backgrounds than me. And what happened when I would gather is I was forced into this, into this space, whether it was on Sunday morning or in small group, I was forced into this space where I had to be around other people. And we weren't around things that united us, like the normal things that would unite us. So I lived, Marysville is outside of Columbus, Ohio. So you can imagine the thing that unified us, right? We weren't gathered to be united around any of those things. We were gathered to be united around our worship of God. So God, gathering transformed me by putting me into proximity with other people with whom I greatly differed. But the thing that we had in common was our worship um, generously giving transformed me because I didn't give, I no longer gave to receive affirmation or approval from other people. Because God was generous with me, I wanted to be generous. It was a reflection. My, my giving was a reflection of God's generosity. Last week I talked about the way that early on my discipleship had been, had been at the, the financial expense of other people. Right. We went to church, and because other people gave generously, we were able to reap their rewards. And it was not only things like curriculum and, and paying salaries. What I learned over time, my, my discipleship was coming at the expense of people who served, because not everyone, just like here at Westway Christian Church, not everyone who, who served at Marysville was like on staff, was getting paid for what they do. I, I, I found that there were people there at the building early in the morning to do things like scoop snow off the, off the drive and make coffee. And there were people who had prepared a lesson for our children in children's ministry, there was this there was this serving aspect that was going on. There were people that were making sure no light bulbs were out, like all of these things were going into serving. And and it was these people through their through their efforts that that helped us um, not not merely fall in love with Marysville Christian Church, although we although we did because it didn't terminate on itself, because they were a light revealing God. What happened was, because of what Marysville Christian Church was revealing, because they were being the light, they were revealing Jesus, and we fell in love with Jesus, because they revealed that. And Marysville Christian Church became this place where I could find the answers to, to my deepest questions. And as we think about what what we want Westway to Christian church to look like. It's that same exact thing. We want people to gather and give generously and, and serve selflessly so that we, we can be that light only instead of revealing me, it's, it's revealing the person of Jesus who God is. And serving was a big part of that. This is early summer, 1998. They're having this, we are having this outdoor Service this outdoor gathering, and Nathan Pugh, the youth minister at the time, stands up and says, "Hey, we are we are taking students to San Luis Potosi, Mexico, later this year. Maybe some of you are interested in going as a as a sponsor or as a, as a leader on that trip. And probably one millisecond after um, he said that." Anne leaned over to me um, and she said, you should go on that trip. Because when I was in high school, one of the things that helped, that was a part of my journey to becoming a Christian was I went to Mexico on three different Mexico mission trips. And Anne leans over and says, hey, you should go and do that. So it's probably after the service, I went up and talked to Nathan and said, hey, like, tell me more about this Mexico trip. Little did I know that I would go on that trip, and then I would get back from that trip, and then um, instantly I was hooked into serving with students in student ministry, like instantly because of the relationships that I had made in that group. And though it was a long journey, and though there were lots of things taking place around that, um, this is this story. It's one of the reasons why I'm here because serving in that student ministry transformed my life and no way shape or form was I thinking when Ann whispered that in my ear and I talked to Nathan that I think that I can't do that math. So whatever 1998 to 2023 is, right? Like who had, I had no idea that I was going to be doing this, That serve transformed my life. And what I want is for you to have the same exact experience. And that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to be doing this. It might. Don't rule out what God's plan is that he has planned in advance for you. Don't think that God didn't know. Because he did know because he planned it out. What I would encourage you to do this morning, we're gonna put three questions up on the screen. And I would just want to give you some space to just think through them, pray through them, reflect on them. Like we did last week, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you if you are not serving and engaged in, in in a ministry here at Westway, we want to give you the chance to do that. You can scan that code on the screen and We'll take you someplace you can answer a few questions, and someone's going to reach out to you. And what I would just invite you to do this morning for a few minutes is just wrestle through what does it mean for me to serve selflessly, not only at Westway Christian Church, but in your life. So take a few minutes and do that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, and the generosity that he demonstrated in giving up his life for, for us, that we might be the masterpiece that you are now calling us to be. I just ask that we would serve in ways that would be a reflection of the way you served. I ask that we would each think about the behaviors and customs of this world. That we would consider which of them are infecting our brains and infecting our minds that are preventing us from being the masterpiece that you have designed us to be. And above any of those things, God, I just ask that we would be a people who serve, that we would serve selflessly, and that we would be transformed by it. It's in your Son's name I pray.